of this incredible story where Zeus is kind of the history is introducing all the gods and the relationship the gods have with one another and in that text Hecate is it said that Zeus is honoring Hecate by allowing her to keep so he's not giving it to her he's allowing her to keep her share of the starry heavens this share of the earth and the share of the oceans in the, the world we live in today i think we need that magic we need that um i don't know that that ability to have our imaginations activated which is why i guess marvel is so popular with people you know everybody's sitting on the disney channels during lockdown watching every marvel movie ever made but it's 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 a necessity to kind of be transported into a magical world because somewhere i think in our primordial realities that that is still very much part of us probably we we have a need for that connection to the magical you know it's something i've learned over the years is when i look at teachers and writers and stuff like that now writing about modern practice i'm interested not in what they've got to say but firstly i'm always interested in how did this change your life you know so this practice that you've taken on whether it's meditation or mindfulness or witchcraft or sorcery the goetia the key of solomon whatever it is that you've taken on druidry wicca um where did you begin and where are you now and is the place where you're now better than the place where you started and for me it's it's amazing where my life is at so you know i'm really happy with that and for me that's tangible Welcome to the Spirit Box Podcast, where we explore mysticism, magic, esoterica, and the world of the spirits, and everything in between. Today we welcome Sarita Deste. A highly accomplished author, she has penned The Circle for Hecate, Volumes 1 and 2, as well as 20 other titles, aspects of ancient Greek and Aegean religious and magical practices, as well as ancient Egyptian, Hermetic, and Celtic threads can be found throughout her work, and that combines her experience gained with initiatory craft as well as traditions preserved in other European traditions, Orphism and the Grimoires. Now today we discuss Hecate, her revival in terms of modern witchcraft and occultism, and Sarita gives us a superb, just amazing download on Hecate, the aspects of the goddess, and really, really dispels some modern myths or takes on the goddess. In the Plus show, we talk about Sarita's time traveling, particularly to the temple of Hecate and Lagina in Turkey. But we, we talk more widely about travel and exchange some stories of our own traveling experiences in Turkey and India, which I have to say have given me the old um, itchy feet syndrome. If you want to hear the Plus Show or would like to support the Spirit Box podcast, there are many ways to do so. But primarily, come and join us on the Patreon. You'll get the extended Plus Show early and depending on what tier you go for, bonus content and swag. Merch. The be-all and end-all of all podcasts. Merch. Also, if you have a story you'd like to tell, your own experience with the other, then use the voicemail link in the podcast. Leave me a message. I want to hear your story. I want to share your story. Now, just before we start the show, I'd like to thank two patrons for their support for the show. Thank you to Wei Wang and Roland Belstead. 
Thank you both. I really appreciate your support. Without your support, it would be very difficult to maintain this show. So you have my thanks. Okay, let's get into it. On with the show. great pleasure to welcome um to the spirit box sarita deste you're very thank welcome thank you so, <laughs> absolutely an absolute pleasure to have you here uh, and i think we we've already broken a record um with the longest preamble before actually hitting a record with, with a good half an hour chat on our various travels um this is the bit where I, I, I do feel sorry for a lot of my listeners because I will at some stage. Do you remember that bit we, we spoke about before we uh, we hit record and do that repeatedly throughout the show? And, um, you know, they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. But it was great. It was great stuff. It was great stuff. Um, so as I said, you're, you're, you're really welcome. And um, I'm delighted to have you here. And uh, I'm and just to get people uh, orientated, could you tell them a little bit about who you are and your work? Sure. Um, so I'm Sarita, GSD, and I like to think of myself as a fire starter, troublemaker, but I am a writer and a publisher and I'm a devotee of the goddess Hecate. And I was born in Africa, in the southernmost point of Africa, and I live in Glastonbury in Somerset, England now. And I've been in the UK for most of my adult life. And I live here with a fluffy cat and a variety of other meme folk. Fantastic. And uh, obviously we, we, we have a, a mutual friend in, in mm -hmm. uh, Marco um, Visconti and uh, we, would have actually been both due to talk at uh, Avalon Con, um, which unfortunately due to circumstances outside of everyone's control has, has to be um, uh, put on a hiatus until next year. It's just a real pity because I think it was going to be a really interesting gathering of yeah, different people, different traditions, and it looked to be a really, really good event. And I hope Marco maybe decides to do something like this online or in the future when things have gone back to normal a little bit. Yeah. Well, I know there's definitely plans for, for next year when, when things are a bit more stable and, uh, you know, I think it'll be bigger and better, you know, it, it, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be phenomenal. I, I've absolute faith that it will be absolutely brilliant. Uh, when, when, uh, when it does kick off. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, in terms of your work, sure. um, now, I, what I really wanted to ask you about is we've seen this big upsurge in, um, I guess, uh, young people uh, gravitating towards uh, the occult. I mean, not just young people, but a lot more, you know, just a lot more kind of, I guess, footfall and people kind of gravitating towards that space, that area. Um, and again and again and again i see where people who are kind of into witchcraft and kind of maybe even a bit more broadly talking about kind of their work with hikate you know um and what it means to them the significance of their their work their bond with with her mm -hmm. and as i was saying earlier in in 
in our preamble um that i've done i did some kind of um some google trends search on mm -hmm. terms of the names of kind of like uh, artemis and diana and ikate and um and like you know artemis is still a lot higher because it, it's artemis has got a huge following huge following and pagan world don't seem to be tuned yeah. into yeah but in terms of the occult and pagan world there's 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 one figure there you know mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of and I wanted to ask you, really, what are your thoughts on that? You know, well, I think things with Hecate has changed a lot in the last decade or so. Um, Twenty years ago, when I dedicated my first group to her as a patron goddess, I guess is the term people use. It was a witchcraft group, and back then, finding even an icon of her was impossible, and there was only two or three books available about her which is already a lot more than there was about some other goddesses and i saw a photo today on facebook of an american author that had a pile of books that were all linked to hecate um you know there must uh, be matt, matt oren matt matt oren I yeah i saw the book was on there but i, I commented and said yeah, well maybe yeah. she's becoming a goddess of literature here there seems to be more and more people writing about her and at the same time, there's more and more people teaching about her. There's more and more people looking for her. And she's also experiencing this surge in media references. So with media references, film, music, um, you know, comic books, everything, computer games. She's appearing everywhere. Um, a friend of mine called Hazel, who was a key berry in the Covenant of Hecate, did a study on where Hecate appears in pop media, as it were, which is available on the um, HecateCovenant.com website. And it's an extensive list of, of, of media references. So I guess those kinds of references is part of the reason that people are drawn to her or they hear her name. She's usually shown in some kind of um, fantastical way. So, you know, magic and sorcery and demons and all this kind of stuff, which, of course, attracts people that are looking for something slightly edgy at the same time i think that there's a change happening in the so-called pagan occult witchcraft worlds where a lot more people are stepping away from the the tradition started in the 50s and 60s which tend to be quite generic very open and people are looking for something that goes a little bit deeper that's a, that has a little bit more um authenticity but but maybe not authenticity in the sense that it's got ancient roots because everything has got ancient roots you know if you look back you know eating a piece of bread was done by ancient people so um more in the sense of kind of like genuine mystical experiences looking for things that is a little bit more polytheistic maybe i'm, I'm seeing a lot of changes in the way that people approach shekati and the other gods so I think for these reasons, you know, people are more um, interested in her. There's also more and more schools of witchcraft that are specifically dedicated to her. You don't get that many groups, ironically, dedicated to Diana or to Artemis, both goddesses that I'm also very fond of. I wrote a book in 2006 about Artemis, you know, so um, I'm also very fond of Artemis. I find Artemis, ironically, slightly barrier between the two um which is strange because again artemis has got this kind of sweet innocent huntress you know young girl in the forest 
image and, and people think of her very much in the role of child nurse and kind of more gentle than Hecate but actually when it comes to you know the kind of darker side of of magic and sacrifice and things like that there's a lot more examples historically recorded for Artemis than they would be for Hecate so it's, it's an interesting thing and Diana is a I'm, I'm finishing off a book that I've been working on for several years on Diana and I'm hoping to get it out later this year, pandemic um, allowing me to actually work because my son's been home a lot. But Diana is, is equally associated with, with, with Artemis and Hecate. She's somewhere in between, but she's the goddess that throughout the kind of ages remained associated with witchcraft. So it's interesting that Hecate seems to be taking back that role. Um, but it's also questionable whether Hecate and Artemis and Diana are really that separate from one another. They are very, their histories are very interlinked. So, for example, at Diana's most famous cult centre in the ancient world, which is a place called Nemai, um, Lake Nemai, it's in southern or south of Rome. And it's a, it's a meteoric lake, which is also called the Mirror of Diana and it's a very very famous site associated with her and this ancient coins from the region shows a triple goddess on the coin and writings about the cult there names diana as being hecate artemis and the goddess selene the moon goddess selene so it's a, it's a lot more i guess interlinked maybe than we give it credit for because a lot of these names may just be epithets or theonyms like um, surnames or descriptions. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, that's 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 very significant. You know, that we're, if we're looking at kind of actually the the one deity as it were and its facets of, of this particular deity, I, and and to kind of I guess I'll, I'll unpack it a bit more and and look at the um, why is it that kind of Hecate is is getting that kind of modern attention what is it about Hecate that people just they don't see they don't see that part of Artemis you know uh, mm. and she's almost like a pop culture uh, figure to a degree right you know comes up again and again in kind of yeah. in, in media yeah. you know, um I, th I think with Hecate she there's like the allure of the kind of um the kind of dark mm. gothic yeah. Ideas that are linked with witchcraft in a more aesthetic way. Yeah. So it fits in with that kind of aesthetic approach to witchcraft where things have to look a particular way. The fact that she's a triple goddess lends itself to more visual um, recognition mm -hmm. and ideas. The other thing with Hecate, I think, is that it's maybe a little bit, for me anyway, I look at it as something a little bit more mystical. And I look at even those appearances in pop media and in, you know, whether it's computer games or Sabrina, which is yeah. one of the things that happened for Hecate in the last year. She became the goddess of the witches in Sabrina. Yeah. And I think when you start looking at that and you, you can say, well, you know, it's obviously just pop culture and it's obviously just a fashion. But I often think that there's something a little bit more mystical about it, a goddess who's able to find a place in society, even if her religion isn't that well known. 
And I think Hecate is one of the goddesses that have been able to do that from the beginning. If you look back to the time of Shakespeare, Hecate is there. If you look at Scottish witchcraft stories, you've got Diana, but there's also mentions of Hecate. If you look at stories across the continent, in the Balkans, in, in the rest of Europe, Hecate is a goddess who, who seems to find ways of surviving through the ages. So it's not a entirely just a modern revival. There, there was always little mentions of her. Um, maybe not in a kind of religious context, maybe in a folkloric context, maybe in a you know a literature context like with Shakespeare drama. But those are the, the same kind of things that we had in the ancient world. There's often playwrights whose stories we've got to, to inform us about the gods. So I think maybe, I mean, from my perspective anyway, I think that maybe she's a goddess who is able to inspire poets, inspire writers, inspire artists, inspire computer game makers who's also artists. You know, it's not my thing, but, you know, they, they, she's inspiring them to include her. And she's making herself relevant in the 20th that way. And I think if you look at that document I mentioned earlier with all the mentions, it becomes apparent that she shows up in many different forms. So in the ancient world, originally, Ekati was given a single form. Her triple form is a later development in her, you know, in her cult that only comes along in about the fourth century BCE. But throughout her long history, she's both single-bodied, she's triple-bodied, there's examples of her being um, two-bodied, um, quadruple-bodied. Um, we find her with the heads of, of young maidens, but also with the heads of many animals, like snakes and goats and wolves, um, donkeys, goats, you know, all kinds of things like this. And, you know, going along with that visual thing, she's also got some very easy to connect with symbols that is associated with her. She's often accompanied by a dog, just like Artemis or Diana is, but she's also holding torches, often two torches, sometimes up to six torches. She is shown with a key, a whip. You know, so the symbols that she's shown with remains things that we can understand. We understand the need for light and the darkness. You know, it's a it's a very primordial need, nearly, to have light. <laughs> you know, when we when we're in the dark, there's a there's a natural fear that develops. But um, you know, light is something that brings about I don't know peace and understanding of what's around you. It can also be very scary. So light, especially in the form of fire, is also a protective thing. You know, you can hold back things that you don't want to see or that you don't want near you. You know, too much light is obviously something that can be too bright to, to see as well. But you can keep away things that you don't want close to you. So I think there's a lot of kind of relevance to those themes that she's associated with. In the ancient world, she was called on as... Um, the nurse of children, which again is a, a role associated with both Diana and Artemis. Nursemaid is one of the big things that she's given. But there's lots of things about Hecate, even in ancient kind of Hellenic texts, that sets her aside and apart from some of the other gods or from the main gods. And not as some of the classicists and Victorian writers would have had it like in a lesser role, 
but in actually a much higher role than is apparent. So she might not be a goddess that is usually one of the 12 Olympians. She does make it as one of the 12 Olympians in different regions at times, but she's not normally one of the 12 Olympians, but she has this role right from the beginning in the first religious text that we have, which is Hesiod's Theogony. We have this incredible story where Zeus is kind of, the Hesiod is introducing all the gods and the relationship the gods have with one another. And in that text, Hecate is, it's said that Zeus is honoring Hecate by allowing her to keep, so he's not giving it to her, he's allowing her to keep her share of the starry heavens, his share of the earth and a share of the oceans. But he also exalts and he says, the, the text says, the Hecate is the goddess who Zeus honours more than any other which kind of doesn't make sense. You know, Zeus is not honoring Aphrodite or even his wife Hera more than any others. He's honoring this outside goddess more than any other. And further down in the text, we find references to her as being like an intermediary. So um, Hesiod says to us, if we call on Hecate with Poseidon, she will give the fishermen greater catches or if we call on, I mean, this is this text is from the 7th century BCE, so obviously it's not going to say it's going to be put more money in your bank account or give you a, a you know, a yacht. But um, it's, um, you know, if you call on Poseidon, she's going to get, give you a greater catch. If you call on Hecate with Hermes, she's going to, incre she's going to increase your bull herd. She'll have more cattle. And in, in terms of that time, of course, that meant prosperity you know safety in the terms of food supply but also prosperity and we also find that Zeus specifically mentions in that text that she remains as she has been from the beginning the nurse to children um which is a role that's incredibly important because in places like Legina which is now in modern day Turkey but was part of ancient Anatolia carrier region we have the temple of Hecate there, which is the last classical temple that was built, and that temple is dedicated to Hecate. And it's a very interesting site. It's huge. It um, was part of a mystery cult. It was connected to a local city, Stratonusia, by a sacred road, very similar to things that you get at, at Eleusis and you know other famous sites like that. And they're only just starting to. Um, research the site that was discovered 130 years ago now but um, they're only just starting to kind of research it properly and they found the city which they thought was a bit of a myth they thought that maybe it was just a small little town it turns out it's a lot bigger than you know people given it credit for and at that site the friezes on the sides of the temple which is currently in the museum in Istanbul because it was removed in a very bad way <laughs> by 1800s um, archaeologists who treasure hunters basically in my my opinion <laughs> and they removed the freezers and these freezers are in the, in the museum in, in Istanbul and on one of the sides it depicts Ekati in a role holding the swaddled baby Zeus so in the story of the birth of Zeus, which of course is part of the whole fall down of Kronos and Rhea kind of giving Zeus a stone and swaddling 
the baby and he's being kept safe in a cave somewhere in Crete by dactyls and you know all these kinds of things if you kind of look at that story there's another birth goddess that's usually named but it seems like in some regions that story was linked to Hecate and the birth goddess Elithea is in other places also linked to Hecate so it's possible that that's just a another name for the same goddess not that all the goddesses are the same but they do have these like localized names or epithets that they called upon so you know that's right at the beginning in the 7th century BC and I've kind of gone off on a little bit of a <laughs> Hecate is great there around but we find similar roles for Hecate much later on in the Chaldean oracles which is dated to the 3rd 4th century CE where Hecate is also given um in the Chaldean hierarchy there's like three worlds that are kind of subdivided and Hecate rules the kind of um, middle world but she's also with the father god the first father alongside him you know in the kind of heavenly realm so it's a it's a kind of interesting thing because there's not just this one version of Greek religion or Roman religion that we sometimes believe is things went quite as black and white because in the different regions she was seen differently so she's always had a role that seems out of place when we just look at the story of the olympian gods because then it doesn't quite make sense but as a goddess who had a portion of the heavens she would have been able to roam freely in olympus but also in hades because she's a goddess of earth on the earth and in the ocean which is not something all the gods can do. Hades needs special dispensation to leave the underworld. You know, so most of the gods can't just, you know, flit around. But she and also Hermes is another god who is able to do that. So I think the connection with Hermes, for example, is also very interesting because, again, it's a very ancient one. But of course, Hermes has also become a god that's very, very popular with magicians. You know he's, he's also got that kind of bigger role and i think he's a similar god to to hecate in the sense that he's found ways of making himself relevant and known in the modern world um i wrote an article slightly tongue-in-cheek article for my patheos blog last year sometime where i suggest that hermes stole asclepius's staff and replaced it with his own <laughs> Um, because of the whole way that the caduceus has become the symbol for healing in the modern world. You know, the, the staff with the two snakes around it. And of course, that is Hermes's staff, which is the herald's staff. Nothing to do with medicine, but somehow, mystically, it became the symbol for medicine because of the mistake made by the ambulance service in America. Yeah. And... Um, the staff of Asclepios, which is a single staff with one snake around it, is is very much less known. I mean, some places are using that. But, it's but it's it, remarkable. You see, kind of like 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 even like doctors wearing the caduceus as a ring, you know, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And like it, it's one of those ones. Where I don't know about you, but it, I it, I find my old my own childishness just surfaces immediately where I'm like, I have to chew my own tongue to stop from saying something. You know? Well, Hermes, <laughs> um, as you may well be aware, is the god of thieves. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also 
very much a trickster god. It certainly is. I suppose it is perfect. Yeah, it is. Uh... No, I, don't, I don't think these personally. I mean, some people probably think I'm a bit nutty for it, but I don't because I believe in the gods. Mm. I don't think of these things as um, accidental. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see that innocent mistake somebody made as as accidental as it seems because you know. It, it kind of has given him a lot more kudos than mm-hmm. he might have had in the modern world. Yeah, yeah. And um, at the same time, magicians are still very, you know, very, very fond of him. And um, I think Hecate is, is similar to that. You know, she's she's found ways of adapting and making herself relevant in a way that not many of the other gods have. Mm. You know, I'm not less fond of, say, Vesta or... Hestia or um I don't know any of them really but they not they've not made themselves as relevant in the modern world as Hecate and Hermes has for example mm. in my opinion no I, I agree with you completely you know I mean I mean really that's that's the that's the root of my question you know mm. it, it, it's like how 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 you know how has how has this happened and and um how have they managed to capture the imagination of of a uh, you know essentially a new generation of magicians and uh and witches you know um I, th- I think the other thing that's happened is there's a lot of, um we've got a lot better um better at having access to information in the last 20 years than the previous generations and the previous generations i think of magicians and this it's not their fault but information was a lot harder to come by and Ecate is one of those goddesses that I call them the encyclopedia gods. You used to have these like entries in every book on magic where there was just a paragraph or two about the gods or the spirits. And you would kind of say, I'm going to work with Venus because I need to do a love spell. I'm going to work with Jupiter. And you didn't really know anything about these deities. All you knew was, you know, what could fit into one paragraph. And I think with Hecate, because so many people have been inspired and continue to be inspired to write blogs about her, to, I mean, there was a joke going on at Pagan Pathios, and I have written a lot on Hecate, and I was trying not to blog about it, because so many of the other Pagan Pathios bloggers were writing about her. There was hardly anything about any of the other gods. Um, you know, it was just this like incredible explosion two, three years ago of everybody writing about her. And you get people that really want to fight in the corner of she's the dark crone, Anna Crowley, and Graves' depiction of her, which is a 20th century image that she developed. Um, other people that are really trying to kind of um, promote the idea that she's the mother of angels and, and the mother of the gods. And everything in between, you know, everybody's kind of fighting their corner. But the result of that is there's so much more information, discussion, um, ideas about her, kind of makes it out there into the world. And more and more people are discovering a form of her that they can connect with. And, you know, again, the Hecate has a very, very long history. And during that history, she's often be called the many named and when she's called the mother of the gods, she's called the many named mother of the gods. She's also called multi-form because of, I mentioned earlier, she has this triple form, single form, double form, quadruple form, animal form, human form. 
Um, but she's also got other forms like this, examples of where she appears as light upon the water or a pillar of light or bright light that, that is too bright, people can't see what they're looking at. And these are historical examples of ways that she um, appeared, not, you know, our modern interpretations. These things are recorded by people in history. And there's many, many examples like this. So she, she back then, she was a goddess that appeared in many forms. So that she appears in many forms today, including forms that she wasn't recorded as appearing in, in the ancient world, isn't really a surprise. You know, and in many ways, she's like a shapeshifter, which again, is not something we associate very much with the Greek gods. But of course, many of the Greek gods shapeshift. You know, um, I don't know, if, just using a, a story linked to Hecate, you've got the story of Hecate's mother, Asteria, who is the star goddess. She's the goddess of the night sky and um, astrology, divination by stars and dream oracles and things like this. And she's a virgin goddess at the time of this story. And the god Zeus falls madly in lust with her, which he, of course, in the stories often do with various goddesses and mortals. And he starts chasing um, Asteria. Asteria uh, runs from him. And as the story progresses, it's a little bit like the story of Keridwin and Taliesin in the Welsh, um, you know, myths. They keep changing forms. And, you know, when Zeus finally sh shapeshifts into an eagle, which of course is one of his forms, she shapeshifts into a quail and hits the water. And when she hits the water, she turns into a floating island. Um, that floating island later on in mythology is an island called Ortigia, which is the just the name for quail, would later become the island of Delos, which is where Apollo would be born. So, you know, there's this whole full circle of relevance and Apollo's born there because it's not solid land, it's floating, it's not attached to, to the land, according to myth because of um, Hera Zeus's wife being upset with the whole pregnancy thing when, when Leto gives birth to his children. But Leto's is Asteria's sisters. It's a very, I don't know, it's, it's all like connected together, but shape-shifting is a very, very big part of a lot of the stories of the gods. You know, something we, we think of as like a Celtic, um, Welsh, shamanic, I guess practice but with with the kind of greek gods it's there and it's there a lot i mean apollo is sometimes the wolf god so you've got this kind of werewolfy type thing going on for him sometimes which again is not something we hear a lot of people talk about so i think this this ability of some of the gods to shape shift and change because in the, the world we live in today i think we need that magic we need that um I don't know, that, that ability to have our imaginations activated, which is why I guess Marvel is so popular with people, you know, everybody's sitting on the Disney channels during lockdown, watching every Marvel movie ever made. But it's, it's, it's a necessity to kind of be transported into a magical world because somewhere, I think in our primordial realities that, that is still very much part of us probably, we, we have a need for that connection to the magical. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned superheroes because I, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of, there's a real thread 
to a particular kind of like god goddess archetypes through those superheroes mm-hmm. you know you look at like the flash is i mean even wears like some of hermes um mm-hmm. signifiers and symbolism you know like there's 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 very similar figures there you know um and i often think about them as well as that that comic book heroes are another form of manifestation of of, of these 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 god types you know they, they find they find a form of expression they find a form it's, of permeating the culture it's a form of storytelling and that's yeah. how the stories of the gods were told and passed down that's what mythology is mm, yeah it's absolutely it's fixed in the way that we understand it today and often the stories of the gods are quite separate from the way in which they were honored and how they were worshipped and etc i mean there's some hilarious stories about um you know quite strict ways in which some of the gods that we consider to be quite wild and free were worshipped and and the rules that that of respect and hospitality and you know behavior was a lot more dictated because it's like formulas and recipes for kind of connecting to the gods um versus celebrating the gods which storytelling is part of in my my mind you know the the, the telling of these stories is very much part of um the way that people understood stood it i mean people that grew up in a christian culture would have been told the bible stories it's not necessarily the reading of the bible it's the telling of the stories which sometimes is quite different from what it says in the kind of you know in the actual book there <laughs> so um yeah i think i think storytelling is a very big part of it so taking kind of a, a slightly sideways uh, turn on this in terms of you know your relationship with Hikate you know and, and really only what you're comfortable talking about you know what what does she mean to you how does how does your how, how does she feature in your life and and your practice well um I think if, if I answered this 20 years ago, when I was starting my journey with her, I, I'd already been involved in witchcraft for a decade or so at the time that Hecate became more and more prominent for me. Um, I would have seen her very much as like the goddess of witchcraft and the goddess of magic and, and all those kinds of things. But as my relationship with her grew and, and evolved and I learned more about her, because I think the more you learn about something, you know, just like a form of art or a form of I don't know any kind of practical skill that you have the more you learn about magic and the more you learn about the spirits and the gods that you serve the kind of better perspectives you can have on it and and the fuller picture that kind of emerges I guess from that that the, the, the picture becomes clearer and there's more ways of of doing that so I went through a phase of doing a lot of sorcery a lot of witchcraft etc but in recent years my practice with her is a lot more devotional and you know I, I have no problem with saying you know Hecate is an important part of my religion you know I worship her I believe that she helps me as I help her and a lot of my work is theurgical which is not something I guess that is that well known within kind of pagan circles. It's a slightly different approach to having a relationship with the gods from 
what witchcraft normally presents. Although some forms of witchcraft, in fact, I believe has a more theoretical spin on it than it is aware of. Well, thank you for, for, for sharing kind of uh, about how she features in your life. And I, I find it really interesting that how she's developed, you know, how she's shifted in terms of the areas of her, I guess, her jurisdiction and responsibility and and um, mm. uh, and, and authority. You know, I, I wasn't aware of the whole um, midwife uh, mm. mother element at all to 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 her. You know, and certainly she's never given us as having a you know a so-called husband or she's mm. never married with a particular god in a kind of romantic way, possibly with Zeus, possibly with Hermes, but it's never explicitly mm -hmm. right. stated or you know given. But she's worshipped alongside Zeus, for example. There's a cult of the empty throne that's popular in was popular around the Aegean regions um, and in Rhodes and a little island called Hania which is just off the coast of Rhodes. Right. There are examples of stone-cut thrones dedicated to Zeus and Hecate next to each other. And with Hermes, you often find the two of them together, but it's not romantic necessarily. And she doesn't necessarily have children in the mothery form. We don't have stories of that, but what we have is this reference to her as being kind of the mother of the gods or an older goddess, I guess, is implied with in Proclus's hymn to Hecate and Janus um, is that phrase that I gave earlier where she's called many names mother of the gods. So that's fourth century CE. It's quite a late period hymn. A time that Christianity was already on right. the rise. Um, it's, it's making me think about um, Lilith to... to, to... Mm -hmm to a degree uh, and really kind of in, in an adversarial way um, because certainly you know uh, across the Mediterranean in, in in North Africa and again kind of like a, in the Levant area like Lilith certainly had an adversarial role with mothers particularly young mothers you know and and was indeed combative against um young children making it and of course in a time of height in yeah. mortality you know that that, would that, sounds like Lilith, that sounds more like the, the late Lilith that's kind yeah. of derived from the mashtu mm -hmm. yeah. the kind of baby devourer the baby devourer exactly yeah yeah, yeah. The, 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 that's, the that's, that's quite a late uh, late story unless you go back to the kind of um Lamashtu right story yes which is um much much older um, I mean, I think Lilith is, 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 is a being that, again, has this like modern image of, of feminism and mm. a whole kind of mod more modern story of her being the first wife of Adam. Adam and yeah. all the a lot of that is, is a lot later. Right. So, um, and I think it's, it's a mishmash of, of kind of Jewish mythology with, with other things from the region that probably survived. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on on the history of of Lilith, but that's yeah. certainly my understanding of it. Well, really, I think what, what what I'm trying to, I guess, get your opinion on, I get to get your your thoughts on, is that figure, whatever mm -hmm. that 
mishmash is and kind of a whatever time period that that particular role takes a prominence you know was that was that something where like Kate was 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 a was a counterbalance to or seen or is it totally different regions I, I just think it's got it's completely different it's got yeah I think there are people today that want to kind of call on the so-called dark mother and mm-hmm. you know call Lilith and Hecate and usually the Morrigan you know yeah. they're kind of like put together but of course they they are in my mind they're completely separate mm-hmm. um and you know I don't think Hecate was a an opposing force to to that mm-hmm. um it was much more the nurse to children the protector the child's mm-hmm. nurse so like the the carer yeah that, um, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at I'm doing it so I'm being really clumsy at my language here she was a goddess that was caught on a lot for protection in the yeah, home that's what I'm asking yeah, yes. it is so, a protector in, in, in that regard. But a protector a from everything, not just in regards to children. Okay. So mm-hmm. shrines to her were very, very popular in the thresholds of homes and in the porches of homes. Mm. Um, this kind of a throwaway comment that's, that one of the ancient writers made that say that it basically implies that it's like a really normal thing to see in the homes in Athens to see a Hecate on a triple Hecate image in the porches of, of the home. And the reason for that, and also why she was erected at, at say gateways or the home, the doors of homes, the doors of cities, the doors of temples, the entranceways, etc., was because she, be, the, the way that she looks three ways, and it's the same reason she's associated with crossroads is for protection. She can see everything. Mm. And it was believed that she was a goddess of purification, so she could keep out unwanted forces. Mm. Um, so the kind of washing rituals and stuff like that is often kind of linked to her purification, cleanliness, you know, all those kinds of things. Again, not things that we hear people talk about a lot in the modern occult world, you know, because we, again, the crossroads today is associated with these um, diapnons, the Hegarty suppers that I left there. But actually, the crossroads rituals, the only examples of these things being left there, and it's only written about in two sources, one quoting the other, is food being left there as part of a purification ritual where you first clean the house and you take the sweepings of the house where you burn it in a clay censer at the crossroads, and then you leave the food offerings. And the food offerings is for the poor, basically. It's like a charity offering, the way that it's described. Um, but all of that is, is purification rituals that are linked to her. She's very much kind of like this goddess that averts evil from the home. And you kind of take the sweepings to the crossroads because she is in the crossroads, but she can keep the bad stuff away. Yeah, it, it's totally different from the modern perception. But a lot of, I think a lot of modern devotees of Hecate, I think there's, there's, a, there's a big difference between people that, I don't know, um, have a long-term relationship sure, with Hecate. Sure. Yeah. And certainly with, with people that do have a long-term relationship with her, I think most people understand her as a benevolent goddess, mm. because otherwise you wouldn't want a long-term relationship with a goddess that's going to smite you around every corner. <laughs> I mean, why? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm not saying that she wouldn't smite somebody, you know, but um, 
I think most people that are long term devotees of her, they may have had bad experiences with her. Um, you know, most of them will say that at some point or another she was stern or strict or demanding. But I think all of that kind of side effect, the reason that she's called a dark goddess, as it were, is to do with the way that, you know, going back to what I said earlier about the light that she shines with her torches. If you think about light, you know, in modern occultism and witchcraft, we all want to kind of like, oh, we're doing dark magic. <laughs> oh, baby, I'm wearing black. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's like that, right? I'm sorry, I didn't wear a skull or a pentagram. Um, this pentagram somewhere on my shelf. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, so I think you we have this kind of image of um, you know, dark being cool and trendy and powerful, but light can be a lot more scary than darkness. You know, um, if if you think of when you'll be more frightened sitting in the dark <laughs> or having a firebrand stuck in your face you mm. know which one is more dangerous mm. um when there's darkness you don't see what's around you and you can imagine what's around you and you can conjure up fear but actually if they suddenly you switch the lights on you can see what's really there and if there's scary things there it's going to be slightly a lot more frightening because suddenly those things are revealed to you rather than just being in your imagination as it were mm -hmm. you know so light can be a very very scary concept and she's you know i've, I've talked about hecate as being this kind of ancient goddess of, of the realms of heaven of earth of ocean the mother of the gods etc and the crossroads goddess the savior goddess sotera which is a, a role that she was called upon when she saved cities um you know kept them safe from invaders mm -hmm. or from all kinds of other problems but also, and, and that's not just Hecate that gets that role, we, we also see goddesses like Athena getting that role. But um, Hecate also has this role as the, the preceder and the follower, it's translated as usually, in the mystery cults of Eleusis, of Lefsi, where she is the one who guides the goddess Persephone on her yearly journey into the underworld and back again. So she, in that way she's a psychopomp mm. so she's the one that leads the initiate on a journey of initiation and back again mm -hmm. and i think all of these kinds of things you know kind of makes up the total of who hecate is and and these are the roles i know most devotees that i'm aware of would know hecate as and, you know, the, the fact that she, you can call on her for magic and sorcery and and all these kinds of things is also very much present, of course, and that she's the goddess of the restless dead. She's a goddess of so many things that it can be incredibly confusing, I think, um, when you're just talking about one or two aspects of her. So, um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm being entirely confusing right now, I don't know, um, and just adding to that confusion, but... Um, you know, she is a goddess of many, many, many things. And it makes it a little bit confusing. The more you look at her, the more you realise that she's not just the goddess of ghosts and witchcraft, which is what she's so often, um, I guess, named as in pop media or in those encyclopedia kind of entries and pagan books. 
so it's it's very much a reduction of the full spectrum of of who she is and what she has kind of a authority over you know um, yeah I, I think a lot of that also came because the late um in the late pagan era mm -hmm. Hecate's popularity seems to have been quite big mm -hmm. and you know she's part of the story of Julian the apostate for example are you familiar with the work of Julian the apostate he was I, I am too but but mm -hmm. I, I don't ask me to quote any of his <laughs> any of his work <laughs> Julian the apostate was the um the emperor of the western Roman mm -hmm. empire and then on the death of his uncle Constantine who was the the emperor who brought in Christianity as a you know state religion as it were Julian also inherited his name by Constantine as the successor of that realm. And he recombined the Eastern and Western realms and he tried to reinstate polytheism, paganism. And he also invited back all the kind of exiled bishops of the early Christian church that didn't fit in with the ideas that were being put forward at the time. He didn't live very long <laughs> because obviously what he was doing was, was heresy and it was upsetting he was redistributing wealth and refused to kind of be taken to state meetings in the proper way he wanted to walk barefoot and you know all this kind of stuff he's a hippie um with big ideas and he he did a good you know he made a good run of trying to um reinstate paganism but his journey with with that started with theurgist that he attended a ceremony with who was invoking Hecate. You know, so she's kind of always there, you know, she's she's there at all kinds of strange liminal points in history. Um, which just makes her like a lot bigger and a lot more confusing, I think, to look at when you've got this understanding that she's just a goddess of ghosts and witchcraft. She is a goddess of ghosts and witchcraft, but there's a lot more to the story. And in terms of your relationship with her, you know, mm -hmm. what what has been, you know, what surprised you by it and kind of what's been the most kind of, I guess, um, you know, that those moments where you feel kind of there, there's a, there's a tangibility to the bond. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, hmm, what would I say to that? I think that in the first five or 10 years that I was working closely with her, I was often doing that within a group or community context and we did a lot of trans oracle work trans possession work with her and i often sat as the oracle and my experiences during that time with hecate was very different from my experiences with the other gods that the same kind of work was being done with so i had the opportunity to to have that same experiences with other deities and other spirits but with Hecate, it was always more tangible, more interesting, more um, more life changing. You know, the information coming through actually had meaning rather than just being, I don't know, pretty words or inspirational words. They, they usually good things came from it, or you know, bad things were averted through it, which sounds a bit evangelical, but it's true. You know, it's entirely true, and and that is the reason I became more interested in kind of finding out who is this being you know there must be more to her than you know a goddess of witchcraft and ghosts and subsequent to that 
you know, there's many little moments in my life that I've really kind of felt very privileged to have been called to serve her because I've been able to meet some incredible people over the years. About 10 years ago, I did a, an anthology project called Hecatea Sacred Fires that wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> I was supposed to start a, a period of work with another deity and I was going to have a break from, you know, certain things. And I did this anthology which combined the work of nearly 50 people um, and the experiential visionary ideas and stories about Hecate. It's a big book. I think I've got a copy on my desk still from Friday. It's like an A4 size, you know, time. It's not insignificant. It's not a history book. It's a history introduction to it, but that's it. And, you know, through that, I met a lot of people that led me to start the Covenant of Hecate, which was a much more public um, network for Hecate. It wasn't just an internet forum because people had to go through a process of application and ritual to join but it's open to everybody and through that i've met a lot of people that thing kind of led on to the um hecate symposium which i started doing in 2012 i'm doing one online this year because obviously with the pandemic <laughs> things are impossible but but the, the online version of it in, in its own right is going to be more interesting because it's going to combine people internationally that couldn't previously participate so you know again it's like another doorway being opened so I guess in a way um, the most tangible thing about Hecate is that she's transformed who I am she's transformed the way I live my life she's transformed many things you know around me and in people around me that I can tangibly see and understand when I'm looking at it. And for me, it's been a positive experience. And I guess for me, that is really where, where the, the proof of the pudding is, you know, the, the actual, you know, it's something I've learned over the years is when I look at teachers and writers and stuff like that now, writing about modern practice, I'm interested not in what they've got to say, but firstly, I'm always interested in how did this change your life? You know, so this practice that you've taken on, whether it's meditation or mindfulness or witchcraft or sorcery, the Goetia, the Key of Solomon, whatever it is that you've taken on, Druidry, Wicca, um, where did you begin and where are you now? And is the place where you're now better than the place where you started? And for me, it's it's amazing where my life is at so you know i'm really happy with that and for me that's tangible you know i can talk about visions and magical and mystical experiences but i think that's meaningless because that's you know between me and and the experience that's mm -hmm. not something i can ever really convey in in words i think that's tremendously insightful you know um thank you for that answer i really i got a lot from that um and i it's relevant i think that's relevant to anybody in this space in terms of kind of you know what you know where has it taken you are you are you different and are you, are you a better person are you are you a happier person i, I think or whatever that whatever it is you know mm -hmm. one would assume <laughs> improvement generally goes hand in hand yeah, with uh, where some started and where they are now because yeah. you know people are born 
with more than others mm. you know more whatever the case may be but i think um for me that definitely is you know how i look at it and and i'm incredibly i'm i've got so much gratitude yeah. for the journey i've been on in the last 20 years and you know the people has brought into my life the opportunities has brought into my life the adventures has brought into my life if i uh, you know just i'm kind of thinking of a particular adventure at the moment that that you know i can probably make a movie about or write a book about just the one adventure and it just wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for my interest in Hecate. Mm-hmm. um if anybody wants to find out kind of more about you and 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 and, and follow you where are the best places for them to do so so I'm all over social media for different reasons. Um, you can obviously find me, I've got a website, www.sarita.co.uk, or you can um, follow me on Facebook or Instagram, again, as Sarita DSD. Um, you can find out more about my books and the works I publish, because I run a small publishing company, which is Apollonia Books, or the Covenant of Hecate is hecatecovenant.com. And we're just in the process of um, planning and we've just announced the Hecate Symposium 2021 as well, which um, will be a fantastic gathering of many different Hecatean authors and devotees and priests, priestesses, people from many different traditions, with all kinds of talks over two days. It's going to be exhausting, but interesting. Awesome. So, yeah. Fantastic. I'll pop all the, the, the relevant links in the, in the show notes. Um, Sarita, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Have a wonderful evening. And... Uh... There you go, folks. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. Some real knowledge there on Hecate from Sarita. Um, What a pleasure to have somebody so well-versed and well-educated on their subject matter on the show. Absolutely fantastic. If you want to find out more about Sarita or follow her online, you know the drill. The links are in the show notes. So uh, go and do your thing. All right, chaps, that's it from me. Have a great day and uh, talk soon. Bye.